Resurrection Sunday, uh, he has been raised. He is not here. The traditional gospel ending of Mark is really a bit startling. It ends this way. They went out, fled from the tomb, trembling and panicked. It had seized them. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. End of story. Now that ending has really disturbed those that have read Mark through the years. So there's, there's two other alternative endings. And then there's the suggestion, well, we just lost the end of Mark. But what if this was really the true end of Mark? They went out, fled from the tomb, trembling and panic it seized them. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Had some resurrection fears. And, and I'm just really curious. You know, what sent them out of the tomb like running from it? How had panic and trembling seized them? They said nothing to anyone. I mean, ha- I mean hasn't the whole point been tell the world? And they're going to say nothing anyone they were afraid and there's no way to soften that they were afraid to the point of trembling panic attack how does that happen Mark 16 1 begins to tell the story When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. I want to try to help us a little bit with the timeline because it really is important to kind of keep some of the ducks in the row. What's difficult is that what is 6 p.m. or or sunset on Thursday for us is the beginning of Friday for them. Can you wrap your head around that? So if you think about, just think back, okay, the sunset on Thursday of this week, that was actually Friday beginning. And that's considered the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. It was also in this week a very special day of preparation because it's also Passover. And so there were those that had an... There's an early Seder meal and then there's a later Seder meal. Jesus, when he has the Last Supper on Friday, which would be Thursday evening to us, but it was Friday for him, that was an early Seder meal. And then that same Friday that he's arrested, there's the trials, there's the crucifixion. And Jesus got placed in the tomb before 6 p.m. on Friday because that's the beginning of Sabbath. So 6 p.m. Friday for us is the beginning of Saturday. Think, get it going. Is it helping? You thinking through that? So that's the Sabbath, that's Saturday, and that would have been the later Seder meal. 
What's also really phenomenal when you start tying those together, when Jesus died at 3 in the afternoon on Friday, the Paschal lamb was being sacrificed at the temple. The timing is incredible. And then if you think about 6 p.m. Saturday, that's not, you know, that far ago. Just That was just yesterday. Sunset Saturday, that's the beginning of Sunday, the first day of the week. So once you pass 6 in the evening, it's now the new day. So the ladies went out and they bought spices so that they could take care of the body of Jesus in the way that they took care of the body of Jesus because they couldn't do that on Friday. There wasn't enough time before Sabbath. And then right after sunrise, sometime right after sunrise, on Sunday, the ladies went to the tomb. Now, those ladies discovered something when they did that. So Mark continues the story. They'd been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. That caught their attention. So they probably cautiously entered the tomb. And they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, the right side with inside the tomb. And they were alarmed. These poor ladies. And this, then he says, don't be alarmed. Well, they're already alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's been raised. He's not here. Look. There is the place they laid him. So go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. As we shared last week, three times prior to Jesus' death, he told them, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised from the dead. Just as he told them. Guys, I'm sorry to tell you that Resurrection Sunday really belongs to the women among us. It was the women who hung in there at the cross. All the guys ran away. The women stayed. And at the cross, so again, backing up to Friday afternoon, around three when Jesus dies, there were women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and Joseph and Salome. These used to follow him and provide for him. So these women followed Jesus just like the men followed Jesus, but they did something else. They provided for the physical needs of Jesus. When he was in Galilee, and there were many other women who'd come up with him to Jerusalem. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where the body was laid. That's a really important statement. On Friday, after the death of Jesus, as Joseph of Arimathea, one of the members of the Sanhedrin who followed Jesus secretly, went to Pilate and said, I'd like, I'd like the body. And Pilate said, wow, you mean he's already dead? Crucifixion was a long, horrific death 
Jesus did not stay on the cross long. And Joseph, because he had some clout, got the body, quickly got Jesus' body into his own family tomb. And these women saw where it was. So then when Sabbath is over, the women have purchased the spices. They're going back. They know exactly where they're going to. Two of them have already been there. On the Sabbath, when it was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and, and anoint him. That was just treated as, they didn't do embalming, they just wrapped the body with lots of spices. And as they went, they, they were concerned about the stone because that's the covering of, of the graves, the tombs in Israel. I put up a picture of the garden tomb. <laughs> it's one of two places. This is a newer discovery, but it just this one would illustrate better. This is a track for the stone. And they're worried about the stone because this stone would have to be big enough to cover that entrance. That would be a vent. That would stay open. But the stone had to cover that. And then remember it says they entered. So here's the plan. They entered the tomb and on their right... Here's where the family gathered. Here's where the bodies were laid. And so when they enter, they look to the right, and that's where they see this young guy dressed in white sitting there. And he says, look, there's nobody here. Nobody here. All I can say about this young man dressed in white, beware of young men dressed in white sitting in empty tombs. Just... Just know every time you're going to be alarmed and they're going to say, don't be alarmed. I, I, just, I just think angels are funny. You know, they, you know you're already terrified and they say, don't be terrified. Well, why am I already terrified? Why, I mean, why couldn't, like, could you send me a message in a dream or something to tell me you're coming? You just drop in. The women were alarmed. And he says, you're looking for Jesus from Nazareth. He was crucified And now he's been raised. He died, but now he's alive. He's not here. He was raised bodily from the dead. Look, this is is where they laid the body. It's not the body's not here anymore. Been raised. The body's been raised to life. So go, tell his disciples and Peter. Man, that again, there's such, so, so much meaning there. Go tell the disciples and also find Peter because Peter denied Jesus and he's crushed, he's broken, he's by himself, he's separated himself from the others. Tell, go get him and tell him that Jesus is going ahead of you. He's going to meet you in Galilee and just as he told you. And that's where Jesus restored Peter. Do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus restores him. So I'm really coming back to, that's the story, but I'm back to these fears. You know, what sent these ladies out of the tomb and fleeing from it? How had trembling and panic seized them? To the point they said, They said nothing to anyone. 
They were they were this was a, this was terrifying. Luke would say something like this that might explain some of their terror. These words about a body that was dead being raised seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. The first followers of Jesus, when they heard about the resurrection of Jesus, did not believe. My friends, if that doesn't convince us to believe, I don't know what is going to convince us. The people closest to Jesus didn't believe it. No wonder we're going to have trouble believing it. I mean, if, if the New Testament was this religiously worked document, there is no way that someone would have said, well, the, these first five didn't believe it. This so validates the story. Idle tale. Maybe it's a tale of a stolen body. In Matthew 28, the religious leaders go to the soldiers that were guarding the tomb and said, you know, the body's not there, so why don't you tell a story? Why don't you lie? Why don't you say that his disciples came, stole the body, took it away, and we're going we're gonna to pay you? And somehow we're going to keep you out of trouble because the reality was for those soldiers to lose that body, the seal to be broken was a death sentence. You remember that Mary in John's story runs into the gardener, who's actually Jesus, but says, Sir, have you, have you stolen the body? Where have you placed the body? So maybe some of the fears that they have is this, oh my goodness, somebody's misplaced the body. And truthfully, some of us still think that today. It's hard for us to believe that a body that died could be raised. There's also maybe, you know, maybe one of the idle tales is that, you know, it's just got to be too good to be true that there's life after this life. And I think sometimes the more scientific we become, the harder it is for us to believe that there can be life after life. So it's kind of refreshing that every once in a while, a scientist among us has an experience that just blows your mind. This book is called Proof of Heaven. It's written by Eben Alexander, M.D. He is a clinical neurosurgeon. So that means... He, I mean, he's smart. (laughs) And he's a scientist. And one evening, he went to bed kind of feeling weird. And the next morning, he woke up, and his headache was still there. And he went and got in the bath to see if that would take the pain away, and it didn't. So he kind of got back in bed. And by mid-morning, he was out. And for, for seven days... He was in a a coma because somehow he'd contracted E. coli meningitis. Never figured out how he got it. But in those seven days, 
His near-death experience is an incredible story of there is something beyond this life. Let me read you just a little bit. (coughs) At the very center of light, something else appeared. I focused my awareness hard, trying to figure out what it was, an opening. I was no longer looking at the slowly spinning light at all, but through it. And the moment I understood this, I began to move up fast. There was a whooshing sound. And in a flash, I went through the opening and I found myself in a completely new world. The strangest, most beautiful world I'd ever seen. Brilliant, vibrant, ecstatic, stunning. I could heap on one adjective after the other to describe what this world looked and felt like, but they'd all fall short. I felt like I was being born, not reborn or born again, just born. Below me there was countryside. It was green, lush, earth-like. It was earth, (laughs) but at the same time it wasn't. It was like when your parents take you back to a place where you spent some years as a very young child. You don't know the place, or at least you don't think you don't. But as you look around, something pulls at you, and you realize that a part of yourself, a part way deep down, does remember the place after all, and is rejoicing at being back there again. I was flying, passing over trees and fields, streams and waterfalls, and here and there people. There were children too, laughing and playing. The people sang and danced around in circles. And sometimes I'd see a dog. That answers that question, doesn't it? (laughs) Running and jumping among them, as full of joy as the people were. They wore simple yet beautiful clothes. Those of you that design clothes... And it seemed to me that the colors of these clothes had the same kind of living warmth as the trees and the flowers that bloomed and blossomed in the countryside around them. A beautiful, incredible dream world, except it wasn't a dream. This is an incredible story written by a neurosurgeon whose friend said, oh, Come on now. You've been around people that have had brain injuries. You know that they're just hallucinating. He said, I'm telling you, because I am a neurosurgeon, this wasn't in my head. My consciousness left my body. Wow. So if you think that life after death is too good to be true, in in one sense you're right. It's too good to be true until you experience it. And every once in a while, somebody gets a taste of it and they come back and they tell us. And it's like incredible. He is not here. He's risen. Another idle tale that we might be tempted to buy into is the tale of irrelevancy. That there's just not a connection of the resurrection to the now. We might think, well, we're reading about a story that happened back then. 
And the application of that story is later. Because later, <laughs> I'm going to be resurrected. Or it's a story about not here. It's not, it's not a story about... It has no meaning about earth. It's about getting out of earth and getting to that place that's called heaven. And so we can have this tale of irrelevant. It's irrelevant that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. That could be an idle tale that goes through our head. Wow, have I got another book for you to read. Just want to read you a few quotes. The New Testament insists, ooh, that's powerful, book after book, not just one book, book after book, the New Testament insists that when Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross, something happened as a result of which the world is a different place. Our world is a different place after Jesus died on the cross. And the early Christians insisted that when people are caught up in the meaning of the cross, they become a part of that difference. The cross was the moment when something happened as a result of which the world became a different place. Inaugurating God's future plan. God's future plan started at the cross. We're not waiting for it to start. It started at the cross. Jesus' resurrection was the first sign that it was indeed underway. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is the launching of God's new creation. New creation was launched in the resurrection of Jesus Jesus within present tense, present world, the here and the now. My friends, as, as Paul was saying, if Jesus was not raised from the dead then our faith is in vain. What are we doing here? (laughs) So as I work my way through those resurrection fears, and I invite you to just kind of deal with maybe some of the idle tales that go through your head, I wonder if together we might come up with some resolutions for today. I wonder, could we, could we like agree together? Like with all, like I mean with everything we got, let us experience the trembling and the panic of the empty tomb. This should kind of shake the ground because it's off the charts. Could we... Could we like flee from the tomb? We're going to flee from the tomb. We're going to flee from the retelling of the story. And and rather than not tell anybody, let's tell everybody this absolutely incredible story. How many of our neighbors, how many of our family members have have never had anyone sit down and say, "I, I, I just read this incredible story. 
and tell the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Could we, I mean, could we resolve that beginning today? We're going we're gonna to live daily in hopeful anticipation of life beyond this life. Do we realize the freedom of you can't kill me? I can't die. Do we, I mean, I mean, talk about living life without fear. Making the most of this life because we know it's going to just, it's going to keep on going. That doesn't mean we're not going to have hard times. But isn't it one of the reasons why we go through hard times? Because we know there's always something better on the other side. Then the last one, the one that I just, man, I, I just so long for the church that exists in our generation to get hold of this one. Let us commit our living, our today living to contributing to this world being a different place because of the cross. You know, as I look around the room, (laughs) so many of us are doing things that express the world is different because of the cross. Mentioned clothing earlier. We got a clothes designer designing these clothes that are beautiful. We've got a concert violinist that's making like beautiful. What, what's heaven going to be like? He's like the, the sound of heaven is coming through that violin. We've got people that are on the rivers. We've got people that are teachers. I mean, we've got people. It just goes on and on and on. The contributions that we're making as we live our life must be connected to our world becoming different because Jesus died on the cross. And he started something that cannot be stopped. So I'm back to just the simple analogy. Jesus introduced himself to me when I was 17. My life since 17 has gotten better. My life has gone up and down, but it's gotten better. My family which was broken, was healed. It got better. Again, it's not over, but it's better. My friends, if I'm better, if my family's better, if you're better, your family's better because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, then why in the world is our world not better than it is? Frankly, it's because we don't have a vision for it. We don't realize that where we are and what we're doing is contributing to our world being a different place because of the cross. And that difference means something better than what life could be without the cross. So when you start reading your Bible and Jesus says, hey, I want you to follow me, I want you to obey me, the answer to that is, okay. Not because I'm becoming pietistic or I'm doing it for myself or I'm going to get a reward. We're doing that because it's connected to what Jesus did for us. And we're part of this grand plan of God 
in restoring this, this universe to him. Wow. So let me just kind of go back through these. I'm going to ask you to stand up, sit down. Resolutions, you know, they just require some kind of, you know, yes or no. Be honest with yourself. This is, I'm not appealing to us as a crowd. You can close your eyes. If that helps, just close your eyes. And do, do, what, do what you are going to do. But those of you that would like to experience, I want to experience the trembling and the panic of the empty tomb. If you want that to be your experience, stand up, take a deep breath, and then sit down. All right, sit down. You're going to get tired if you take off. It's, it's okay if you go out. I want you to. All right. Those of us that want to flee from the tomb to tell everyone we run into this absolutely incredible story with God's help. We don't have to do it alone. With each other's help. If we want to flee from the tomb and tell everyone, if you want to make that a resolve for today, stand up, take a deep breath, and then sit down. Oh, the next two are really fun, I think. Those of us that would resolve today to live daily in hopeful anticipation of life beyond life. We want to live life without the fear of death. If we can resolve to do that today, would you stand, take a deep breath, shout hallelujah, and sit down? Hallelujah! <laughs> Obviously, my passion is the fourth one. So again, don't let my passion guide your resolution. But do consider this one seriously. We want to commit our living, our, our day-to-day. I'm not, we're not, I'm not talking about changing your occupation. I'm not talking about every one of us becoming a member of some ministry. I'm talking about us wherever you are right now. Whether you're in school, almost through. Whether you're building crazy buildings. You know, whether you started a nursing career. You know, just keep going, again, going all around the room. It's incredible. We want to commit our daily, day-to-day life. We want to commit believing that we are contributing to this world being a different place after the cross. If we can make that resolution, please stand up, take a deep breath, and start clapping. My friends, stay where you are. Don't sit back down. I know you want to sit quick. The death and the resurrection of Jesus mean more today than they meant back then. But it depends upon you and me believing that and living out the truth of his death and his resurrection. So let's pray. Holy Spirit.
we ask for the gift of faith. Thank you that the Bible says that when we are in need, you're glad to give us help. So I ask that you would give us faith to believe every dot and tittle of this story. And not only to believe what happened in the past, but to believe what's going to happen in the future. But not just what's going to happen in the future, but to believe what is happening right now because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Holy Spirit, give us that gift of faith to believe. Then, Holy Spirit, empower these resolutions that we have taken. Help us to remember we, we stood up. We resolved this day to do this. Empower us now, Holy Spirit. Because the truth is, without that empowerment, we won't follow through. We don't follow through. So empower us now to experience the trembling and the panic of an empty tomb. Empower us to flee from that tomb, to tell everyone this absolutely incredible story. Empower us to live daily in hopeful anticipation of life beyond life without the fear of death. And empower us, Holy Spirit, to commit our living to contributing to this world being a different place because what you did for us on the cross, Jesus, and because the resurrection is that first step. So this day we bless you. We say thank you. May we all just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your death and your life in your name. Amen. Thank you for our morning together. Enjoy the rest of this day. Hug each other and celebrate before you go. God bless.